welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for single women considering solo motherhood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo motherhood coach and solo mum to a three-year-old daughter. For series three of the podcast, I've interviewed a variety of people who share their personal stories, providing a collection of different perspectives of paths to parenthood. In today's episode, I chat to Julie, aka The Chronic Optimist. Julie talks about her experiences with Lyme disease and what that means for her solo parenting journey. Julie's daughter Betsy does wake up partway through the interview um, and is very vocal at times. Such is life as a solo mum, so we plough on and hear Betsy happily gurgling away in the background. Julie, so nice to have you on the podcast today. Nice to be here, thanks for asking me. No problem at all. Before we get into it, do you want to just give yourself a little bit of an introduction? Yeah, um, I suppose there's a little biography, a potted, very quick one. I'm a creative strategist at Facebook and Instagram. I've just realised how weird it is actually that I've gone into like the career thing first. <laughs> as like the, you know, I was like, that, that's my identity. Whereas actually I've been on mat leave for the past seven months, so it's absolutely not my identity really. Um, although I'm back at work next week, but um, I'm also a solo mum to uh, Betsy. She's nearly seven months and uh, mum to two mum, owner of two dogs. Um, I live in South East London. I'm from the Midlands. Uh, what else? <laughs> Hobbies include. I don't know. Is this a dating thing? <laughs> <program? laughs> That's a good, it's a good overview. Um, and how are you feeling about going back to work? Oh, I can't wait. I actually wasn't supposed to be going back till June, um, but I really don't want to use up all of my holiday days while we're in lockdown. Um, I want to use it all up, like, obviously in autumn. So what I've done is decide to go back early. Um, unfortunately, I've got childcare coming to my house. Um, so I've got a really like easy transition into not being with her the whole time, which is good, and so does she. Um, so actually, I'm really excited. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, that's good. I, I have to say, I was just saying there's something about like the structure and using that different part of your brain and, um, you know, just getting a little bit of that back. Um, yeah, and community. I think my, my colleagues are friends and I love the people that I work with on the whole. <laughs> like by and large, obviously, there's the other one. But no, it's so, yeah, it'll be really nice. I work with, it's a very global team as well. Um, and so I, I'm often, even before all of this, we did video calls, like most of my day was video calls anyway, wherever I was based and, you know, like without COVID happening. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing all my friends from all over the world, which will be really nice. Amazing. That's really similar to me. I spend my whole day on around the world on video, so it, it hasn't really changed things in that respect. And it makes it a bit easier because you don't have to navigate this whole strange new world. It's almost just going back to how it was before anyway. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. And your job sounds very cool. Is it is it cool? <laughs> it does sound way cooler than it is, I think. Um it's largely telling um uh, we're helping brands and media agencies and creative agencies, advertising agencies with their advertising for Facebook and Instagram, but the creative side of it. So not necessarily about kind of the tech side of things. It's very much because I'm not very techy. Don't tell the tech company that I work for. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was a creative director in advertising before. And so now I'm essentially helping to improve 
the ideas or for campaigns that, that brands and creative agencies have um, by collaborating with them to, to come up with like come up with ideas or to improve the ones that they've already got that sort of thing so it's really fun it's not glamorous in any way <laughs> because I think I don't get to go on great shoots particularly at the moment although there's been the odd one in my time I suppose um, but it's really really fun it's really yeah, it's really enjoyable nice people and generally I'm getting to use the creative side of my brain which is important for me yeah oh and it sounds really good so where should we start so do, let's start at the beginning why not <laughs> so when did you start thinking about solo parenthood so I am divorced. I was divorced in, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not very good with dates, but about sort of, uh, I'm going to guess about two and a half years after I was married in 2012. So that's about 2014. And after getting divorced, I was dating and I wasn't really having a massive amount of success in dating. And I was, but I did see this guy for a few months who was really lovely and we've remained friends, but he really didn't want to be a parent. And to be honest, everyone that I was meeting, I was realizing I was going into dates, giving them no chance whatsoever and just being very one dimensionally like I'm just seeing you as a baby father or nothing. Well, actually, in some ways, I was also, you know, I was, I was using compartmentalizing my needs in other ways and <laughs> perhaps having buddies <laughs> from that. But like, really, if it was about serious dating, I was just I was, I was kind of not giving these people a chance and um, and the dating wasn't going brilliantly. Um, and then actually I was really kind of considering solo parenting um, because my sister had a child or well, both of my sisters have children, but, but she specifically said to me, like, you don't want to miss out on this because it's a lovely thing. Um, so by hook up, I could find a way of being a parent because you've wanted to for years anyway. I've been trying with my ex-husband for years unsuccessfully. Well, we, we um, had a miscarriage, but um, a quite late one, I think. Um, but yeah we hadn't managed to get pregnant in hindsight it was a really good thing that we didn't manage to get pregnant together because uh it was it was a really difficult relationship quite an abusive relationship and I, i'm glad i'm not tied to him now right so so i feel lucky um having said that um when i was kind of post post marriage and i was like dating and i was really ready to become a mum um I was just almost on the cusp of really like properly delving into it when I was struck down um, with Lyme disease. So um, following a, a writing retreat in Greece where I was kind of going to like find myself and have this wonderful experience, I was bitten um, and by a mosquito actually, because uh, they carry in some countries, they also carry Lyme disease as well as ticks do. Um, it transpires, it's quite complicated, but it transpires that I was also bitten by ticks in the UK uh, and, and I was infected twice before, but I didn't know. Oh my it was God. only when I got the... Is that yeah, but most, well, most people get bitten, but they fight it off really super easily. Wow. Um, and they don't notice that they're bitten because it doesn't itch or anything. And you don't, like ticks can be poppy seed size you, and often go into crevices around like your knees, the backs of your knees or groins or armpit, and you don't notice them. Yeah. Um, and they fall off. Like it's, it's not really a big thing for a lot of people, but me and my two sisters have genetic things that mean that we can't fight things off very well. So we don't process minerals and, and vitamins particularly well from food. So our immune systems aren't very robust bust plus we've got eat loss down loss syndrome which means that you're soft it's a soft tissue disorder there's a few things really compounding factors that meant that when we were bitten as children we kind of fought it off a bit 
so we were kind of like mostly fought it off but there was just a lingering infection in our systems all of us that kind of got worse over the years and multiplied over the years and we never fully fought it off as kids and so therefore the second bite that I got made it worse again and then the third bite meant my immune system because it really destroys the immune system line um it meant that my immune system was just absolutely lacking and could not fight it off plus this was a different strain uh, a specific greek strain that actually causes blindness and um damage to your central nervous system um tissues glands organs but also your brain and so i it resulted in for me fortunately not blindness although i did have vision problems but um but my brain swelled up um my legs stopped working and I, for a short time i was fully paralyzed which is very scary but mm-hmm. also mainly scary because in hospital um the doctors didn't know don't know about lyme particularly this strain and, and what it can do and so they didn't know what was wrong but instead of kind of admitting that they didn't know what was wrong they said that nothing was wrong <laughs> and that it was stress and paralyzed and i was paralyzed yeah um, it was very weird, very weird. I don't, I still can't quite get my head around how they got to that conclusion from, um, like uh, the conclusion of it being stressed. But wow. Anyway, what happened? How did it? How did it come to be diagnosed then? Well, so I discharged myself because I I knew it wasn't stress. My sister's a scientist and actually also has Lyme, so she knew. Uh, you know, she as is quite an expert actually, um, and. I've just realised that Betsy's crying, my uh, my baby. Um, Just terrible timing. But the reality of solo parenthood is that you just have to deal with these things, right? So do you mind if we pause for a few minutes? Of course not. not. Okay, sorry. I'll be... (laughs) Hello. Hello. Betsy, this is Mel. Did you not want to sleep today? No, that's it. She's like, she's like, right, we've done sleep training for night times. I'm nailing that. Don't make me do it for the daytime naps too. Well, I was telling you that um, I did sleep training for night and I just gave up on the day. Like the sleep trainer was like, right, we'll go to the day. And I started and then it was so stressful. I was like, do you know what? I don't really mind if she doesn't have a strict routine in the day as long as she's sleeping through the night. So I gave up in the end. Yeah, well, we might. Who knows, hey? (laughs) (laughs) Right, what were we saying? Where was I? Oh, yeah. Um, So when I was in hospital, um, they didn't know what was wrong. They wouldn't accept that they wouldn't, that they didn't know what was wrong. So they kind of just told me that I was making it up or mad or depressed or, I don't know, all sorts of horrible things. It was quite traumatic, to say the least. But I knew that what was wrong. Um, because my sister is a scientist who'd done lots of research and so she put me in touch with this doctor in the US and I travelled out to Washington DC where there are their Lyme experts um, and I saw these doctors who were just amazing and they immediately knew everything that was wrong they did all the tests as well to confirm it the proper blood test because the blood tests in the UK don't work so they did the right blood tests and they confirmed it and to be honest, it was a big relief because I've been feeling ill progressively for years until that proper bite, that third bite anyway. So the whole thing was like, oh, thank God I've found what this is. And it's not, you know, I'm not going mad. <laughs> it must have been reassuring to know that there was something. It wasn't just you as they were trying to tell you, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was. It was really reassuring. And I think that 
um, it's a scary thing floundering around in the dark. My legs still weren't really working. So um, my left arm and my legs wouldn't really work and my brain definitely didn't really work. And I felt poorly. So that trip to, to Washington was quite a challenge, but actually um, subsequently I got a friend in America come and join me, which was great. So he pushed me around all the museums and stuff in a wheelchair, which is really cool. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so the whole Lyme episode, which has lasted for um, about three and a half years, that essentially kiboshed my dating plans and my finding like a baby father, my whole baby plans. Not least because actually one of the conditions, when you get Lyme disease, you don't just get Lyme, you get a bunch of things, but um, Lyme's probably the predominant one. But you get loads of these other infections and they, they call like ticks nature's dirty needles because they just like shove in all this horrible, these horrible infections. And so um, one of them is particularly bad in pregnancy in that it causes lots of miscarriages. But also, to be honest, I was so ill that I don't think my body could have sustained pregnancy. I don't think I would have stayed pregnant anyway if I'd managed to even get pregnant. Um, and I definitely don't think I was well enough at that time to, to be pregnant or to raise a child or to have a child and to do that stuff. So I kind of had to wait until I was in remission. Um, and I was lucky enough that I found a great doctor and could take, have the right treatment and take all the drugs. And I mean, blimey, I've had so many drugs. <laughs> it's an antibiotic cocktail, basically. Lots of different antibiotic cocktails that you take to get rid of it. Um, and quite invasive and, and tricky. So, yeah, I managed to get into can, remission. can get rid of it or is it like... How Not entirely. Right. No, you won't get rid of it. It's kind of like cancer in that, you know, or some cancer in that, you know, you can be in remission and, and asymptomatic. Right. Um, for Lyme, it generally has flip-flopped. So I'll kind of go through short periods of relapse, but then fortunately can get back to remission quite quickly. But it's not, it's all really just, um, it's quite unofficial almost. It's, it's about the bacterial load in my system essentially and, and also the viral load for some of the other things that I've got because it's not just like so it's Lyme. something that you will have to live with that sometimes is better sometimes is worse yeah exactly yeah and for that reason actually um I don't know if my my legs might start working again and um, because when I went into remission and then when I got pregnant which I'll get to like how I, I decided to do that I guess because a lot of my residual symptoms were autoimmune, it actually really helped to get pregnant. And therefore, when I've been in a wheelchair or using a walking stick for the prior, you know, the three years prior to that, my legs started working and I started to feel really well. And actually, all everyone around me was having um, like really difficult first trimesters and they were all puking everywhere, <laughs> feeling really poorly and tired. And I was like, I feel amazing. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it was it was it was the first time in three years I hadn't felt sick, and it was the first time in three years that I could use my legs properly. And so, it was positive, so you're like pregnant and you feel amazing. Yeah, it was it was utterly amazing. Yeah, I had a fantastic time. Um, so yeah, I was really lucky in that. But I guess just to backtrack a bit into the the pregnancy stuff or the the, the sort of trying. Um, I think that my first decision was just to to kind of go well, am I going to try and get pregnant with a friend or am I going to try or somebody that I know, or am I going to get pregnant with an anonymous donor? And I actually tried with a friend for about six months first and would uh, travel down to the South coast to his flat um, and work from, from there. But also uh, while I was there, 
um, I'd lie on his bathroom floor with a syringe and <laughs> you do um, and try get pregnant and it didn't work actually but in hindsight as well I guess ultimately it's probably less complicated to do the route that I ended up doing so after a few tries and then my 40th birthday I was about six months I think of trying um, after my 40th birthday I was like I think I'm going to try with an anonymous donor instead and go the full IVF route so I I pretty much ran to the fertility clinic not long after my 40th um and was your friend okay with that decision it's interesting actually he was fine with that decision because his um husband had been a little bit funny about it all anyway right. and so he thought you know what it's probably just going to be a lot easier for my relationship and for me and my partner if if this doesn't happen so I think perhaps he felt a bit beholden to me with it and he was probably a little bit relieved ultimately that it wasn't happening so that was kind of lucky yeah. although I did have another friend who wanted to um get pregnant with me and he was a bit upset that we didn't do it together but actually the truth was it was that he would have been brilliant to do it with, but I really didn't want to be tied to staying in London and he lives in London and I thought that if he wanted to co-parent which he did it would be so unfair for me to then basically say okay well I really want to move to the country because I've had a dream of moving to the country for quite a while yeah um if you can hear Betsy in the background by the way she's um <laughs> she's on my knee um um grabbing at things grabby hands is what my sister calls <laughs> so anyway so I, I tried for a while with with my friend it didn't really work so then I decided to go the full clinic route now I'm really lucky and working for an amazing progressive company who had insurance for fertility treatment um yeah so I'd been paying a lot of extra money actually per month into this insurance plan but it still really paid off um to get a package of IVF um and they also helped contribute that insurance contributed to the donor as well Oh wow! And that, yeah, so sometimes time. it only covers if you've got a fertility issue, not if you need to use fertility treatment because you're single. So there was no problem with that. No, there was no problem with that, which was a big relief, of course. So I was, I was really, it was, it's a, it was a really specific. Um, I guess actually, they they didn't they didn't have that as a requirement, but they also didn't ask. <laughs> And so I don't, it was, it was, yeah, it was just brilliant. I felt very, very lucky that it worked out actually that I was able to do that. Um, because it is an expensive process, prohibitively expensive process actually, um, which is such a shame. And that's, and so that's I, felt very I mean, I've never heard of that before. That's um, amazing. Yeah. That you have that. Um, yeah, it's a tribute to working for a good company, I guess. Yeah, for and um, like a modern kind of, you know, a modern company. So obviously, you know, tech companies have, yeah. have got various different um benefits that are kind of different to perhaps more older corporate um companies uh so yeah i feel really lucky about that so i went to the fertility clinic and did the the count the kind of counseling that you do just to um which was really good actually and made the decision to kind of like hurry up as fast as possible essentially <laughs> to try and get pregnant because this was november um, and I wanted to to kind of get things rolling before Christmas because essentially I've been waiting for years and years. You know, on my 30th birthday, I decided that I was desperate to get pregnant. And this was 10 years later. Yeah, it's really hard when you when it's out of your control. Like you, a lot of people take a long time to make the decision, but that's their choice 
because they're taking time to make a decision, this was out of your hands. So that's really frustrating then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very much, yeah, because I started, I started to desperately want children with my long-time boyfriend at the time, oh. and then he met someone else at work, and, and so then I became suddenly very single. And then when I found someone else got married, he was determined that we had to be married before we would try. And I didn't particularly want to get married, but we did because I really wanted a baby. And then we tried anyway. And I think the stress was uh, definitely the stress was like telling my body that you didn't want to get married to, to somebody who was making you so stressed, basically, because, because he was an alcoholic and drug addict and abuse and stuff. So that was kind of fortunate that my body was telling me not to in that circumstance yeah do you think that you sort of went along with that a bit because of your desire to have a baby oh entirely I think it's the only reason that I stayed with him is the truth which is just terrible because you then you know I would have been tied to him for life and that would have been way worse so yeah no I, it was it was all like the drive the main driver for all of it was definitely having a baby all of my life decisions have been based around that <laughs> I think it's such an important point though because I can say the same I've stayed in relationships um, because I felt like they were taking me closer to getting to having a baby whereas in reality they weren't at all if I'd used like my brain um, and I think that so many people listening to this uh, trying to decide shall I try to pursue a relationship or shall I do it on my own and so many times it feels like it will be easier in a relationship but I think so many people who've been there and have got the comparison can say it's not always easier in a relationship many times it's harder or I like to say as a balanced view there's things that are harder things that are easier but it's not like the savior that will just be like oh life would have been so much more simple if it would have happened that way and it sounds like definitely say that as well oh totally I genuinely think it's much 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 easier being a parent alone than it is in a, a not perfect or not a not right relationship it's not perfect but it has to be right I think um if I'd had a baby in my marriage it would have been awful for everybody to be honest I don't think it would have been great for, for him I don't think he was in a great place to be a parent and I absolutely think I would have been really miserable and stressed um I think that the child would have been brought up with kind of lacking joy and you know kind of um seeing like positive role model as well because he just wasn't that you know as a parent and interestingly i've just interviewed um professor susan gollenbach for the podcast and she talks about what's important for children and what's important is bringing them up in an environment that is calm and supportive and, and where you're providing them joy not a set there must be a mother and a father and um, and so so it's very interesting that some sometimes we're concerned or oh, well, if we bring this child into the world without that father what will the impact be but actually mm. if you bring them into the world in a situation where the parents are going to have stress because of the situation it's potentially mm. worse yeah I genuinely, genuinely think that she is going to, that Betsy is going to have a better yeah. early childhood because I'm single, to be honest, because I, it's just so much easier. She gets to hang out with, well, obviously not, not most of the time she would get to hang out with friends, and my friends and my family. 
who are so loving and supportive, but also that we just have a really great laugh together. So, you know, we really do have joy. There's so much joy. There's like, you know, a really, it's a very, very easy life. Fortunately, I'm very privileged in that, you know, I have a secure job and things like that um, and a home, but yeah, I, I, I just think it's going to be so much better for her than it would have been had I had her in a marriage situation, for sure. She, she's definitely going to be benefiting from that. I think it's so important for people to hear, you know, that that's genuinely how you feel about things. I think it's quite inspirational for people. So take us back. So then you went to the clinic and then what happened? Well, the IVF I expected would be really, really, really difficult. And I'm sorry to say it is for some people and it's a real shame that it is and they really struggle with it. But for me, the, the, the hormones made me feel great. The process was not bad. I'm not afraid of needles, which I think is, is a real relief because it would be really hard, I think, if you were afraid of needles because, you know, lots of shots in your belly every day <laughs> can be quite wearing. And it, it does kind of get a bit gross. You're doing it and you're like, <laughs> a bit cringy sometimes, but it was not bad at all. The only bad bit actually was, um, it wasn't even really a particularly bad bit, but the kind of the challenge, the only challenge in the whole process of IVF for me was very much when they did the transfer and they asked you to keep your bladder full. Oh, and yes. they'd given me, they'd given me a suppository of uh, like a pain relieving suppository, but that had quite a, let's just say a liquefying effect. <laughs> on my bowels and so I as a woman it's really hard to to kind of go to the toilet and not let a bit of wee out at the same time and so I was just desperate this is a massive overshare by the way but it's quite amazing but I don't mind oversharing as you know for Instagram but um but yeah so I was desperately trying to like hold this in for for an hour until the appointment because they told you you need to keep a full bladder for like for an hour before and then they delayed and delayed and delayed my appointment by a 10 minute increments for another hour so I was holding in diarrhea for two hours and I was in so much pain yeah. it's not possible to do that and my bladder was so full and I was crying from the from the stress and the pain of sweating <laughs> and the whole thing was just pretty awful because it was me essentially just trying really 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 hard not to have a horrible accident like in front of a doctor on a table <laughs> no, that's just that's not what you need at that so I mean it's a unique conception experience that Betsy will obviously know about when she's older is that I was desperately trying not to who when, when she was conceived. Um, For anyone who hasn't been through it, to keep your bladder full because I think it's easier for them to like get the, this is not the technical terminology, but to get the, I don't even know what the instrument is. The needly thing, yeah, whatever it is. The thing in, um, it's in a straight line apparently if your bladder's full, but, but it is uncomfortable. Um, oh. to keep your bladder that full and what I don't know if this happened to you but as soon as they did the transfer you feel like you want to then be Phoebe from friends and go and lie down with your feet up but they're oh. like right you can get up now and it's like but it might fall out and then you're <laughs> so desperate for the toilet but you don't want to go to the toilet because you feel like you're going to wee it out, which is clearly oh, medically yeah. not a thing. But yeah, yeah. No, it's so true. Absolutely, yeah. Medic, you, you're, you're totally going through that whole train of thought of like, it's a different place. It's definitely <laughs> not going to come out. But I agree. I felt exactly the same. And actually, what was also a really ridiculous decision on my part is that I, 
um, I, I went and decided, I was with a friend, she came with me um, and it was, it was quite, just that holding everything in thing was quite traumatizing. <laughs> it was just quite difficult. But then I, we decided on the way home to go to the Imperial War Museum because I'd never been and it was on the route home and we had a free afternoon. Um, but it's, of course, it's full of death and war and Holocaust and things like that. So it wasn't the most cheering, yeah. cheery place to sort of recover from, from that experience. Um, so I was wheelchairing around the, the Imperial War Museum, just thinking, what I'm, why have I put myself through this misery? <laughs> and, but still hoping, obviously, like, it's slightly excited that I might be pregnant. So anyway, so... Um, just on that, on. Did, any, did any of the health professionals um, say anything about the fact that you were in a wheelchair? Did anyone raise any concern about that? Well, it's pretty terrible, but because I'm an ambulator, or was an ambulatory wheelchair user, which means that you can also walk, so you're not entirely always, you know, using a wheelchair, I would just take my walking stick right. and then not, and, and also never mention it. So... It, I, even though my doctor knew the background, I didn't really tell them the extent to which I had like mobility issues. And I didn't really talk about disability to anybody. And to be honest, I don't think, apart from me limping a bit, the reason that I use a wheelchair isn't because my legs, did, or did use a wheelchair isn't because my legs didn't work at all. It was also to do with exhaustion and fatigue and being very ill from post-exertional malaise. So, um, so it was a combination of my legs not working, but also standing was one of the biggest, bigger problems than walking, which yeah. is something people don't really tend to know about. And life requires more standing than you might realise <laughs> if you're out and about. So, yeah, so I didn't really talk to them about, about the detail of what so lands is. So they might be supportive? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was, a, I was just a bit afraid that they might kind of not treat me or not treat me the same, or there might be biases around how they treated me. Like, for example, the fact that um, I wanted them to put two um, embryos back or two blastocysts back and they were um, they were determined that, that was, they weren't going to do that. And they said that it's standard to do that, actually, for couples who are around 40 years old in IVF. They would put two blastocysts back. That's what my clinic said. Um, but they wouldn't in my case because I was single and because of my health, they said. So they wouldn't put two back because you were single and because of your health. Yeah, I was. I was really. I was really upset about that. To be honest, I was. I could have fought it a lot, but the doctor in question was was quite stern, and he was he was very definitive that he would not support the decision, and it would be highly likely that I would lose both. And yeah, and and when you don't, you kind of just tend to listen to medical professionals a lot. And I didn't have a lot of faith in medical professionals because of my Lyme experience but of course it was a very difficult a different world he was a fertility doctor you know not the other doctors that I'd encountered and so I did try and like put my biases my own baggage to one side and listen to what he had to say about it but actually in hindsight it was probably his bias about my being single just as much as it was about my health which is a shame and um, just asking the mad question, so um, why did you want two back? So you, you wanted to have twins. Yeah, I really wanted twins. I've always wanted twins and I always also um, have wanted two um, or definitely more than one child for sure. And so I am planning on trying again. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't exactly know why I definitely wanted twins, but I've, it's just been a lifelong thing. But also... 
I need to acknowledge my privilege on this as well in that I can afford childcare and therefore I would have got help. Um, and I can totally acknowledge that that isn't the same for everybody. And, you know, too, of course, comes with lots of challenges. I've got supportive friends and family for sure, but I would have got some full-time childcare help as well. What's important to say is that my understanding is that healthcare professionals often will say no for two because there are different risks associated with that which is completely understandable but saying no because you're single is i don't think that's for them to judge that's that's your situation and you know how you can manage that not some someone else shouldn't be able to make that decision i don't think no totally and actually i wasn't sure what was driving the decision but then when he specifically talked about it the reason being um he, he specific he kind of flip-flopped between it being because I was single and because it was about my health and if he'd not mentioned me being single then I might have thought well that's okay he knows about the health stuff but I also am conscious though that no UK doctors know about Lyme disease anyway so he wouldn't really have known had it affected, if it had affected and my US Lyme doctors had provided a letter to say that it was fine and there wouldn't be any complications because I was in remission and I was also taking some medication to make sure that I didn't relapse and that, that I wouldn't pass it on through the womb or through the placenta. Do you have any um, concerns about it like how it might be you know would it be hard for you um, you know were you were you concerned about it at all? No not really I mean he kind of said you know often with twins you you spend the last bit of the pregnancy last trimester like lying down and um if you're single how are you going to look after yourself and I I sort of thought that that was all again that was kind of like my decision but I suppose I'm an optimist right and so (laughs) as my Instagram handle would attest and my therapist would definitely attest because she's said that for years Um, optimism isn't always great in that it's a great thing um, I know Bess is like shouting in the background um, <laughs> that she she likes the fact that I'm an optimist. Don't you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, optimism is not always necessarily a positive thing because it can also be a bit foolhardy, right? So you can go into things head first, um, thinking that everything will be okay. But actually, I'd prefer to be that in that position and that person with that mindset to the pessimism side of things. Um, and so no I wasn't massively concerned and I just thought I will absolutely handle problems as they come um, because I'm lucky enough to have supportive friends family and enough money to be able to do so yeah I I think um, had I been perhaps a little bit more I don't know just a different sort of mindset then I might have had more reticence with it all Um, but so then you go into your two-week wait what was it like yeah that wasn't too bad because I'm quite good I think at distracting myself Um, and I'm quite good because I've had a lot of disappointments and quite a few challenges to overcome I I feel like my resilience muscle is quite strong I I mean I'm really lucky that I don't suffer from anxiety particularly and I've got a friend who do and it is really crippling and I'm very 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 blessed I don't um, and so I wasn't having much anxiety about it, but what I was mainly doing, and I was oversharing everything on Instagram at the time on stories like day by day. So there were so many people rooting for me. It was lovely. Um, but I think also I was very fixed in my mind that I would kind of n- just not expect that it's definitely going to work. 
and then I won't be too disappointed. But that wasn't a pessimism thing. It was just a like, I just don't think too much about the future and just like holds off from, from being too overexcited. So friends were very excited for me and it was lovely, but I was kind of like, no, let's just hold off and not, not think too much about it. I avoided thinking about it. I tested a bit early. I think I tested like two days too early and they told me off for that. <laughs> and then when I went in to get scanned, they actually said that things weren't growing that well and things didn't look great so I had quite a, a couple more weeks of being like it's probably not going to happen I'm waiting for a miscarriage to happen and so then, when you when you tested did it come up as positive on the pregnancy test yeah it came yeah. up as positive but then, then yeah. when you went into the clinic they were not as sure yeah right. exactly they, they did the internal scan because you have so many like they should this wand up <laughs> yeah um and you have so many of these scans um, and yeah, it didn't look great. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, it was kind of getting a bit better news. And it was kind of all a bit rocky, a bit up and down for those first few weeks. Um, and I went away um, on a work trip to Dublin. Um, uh, this was at the beginning of December. Um, and uh, and, and it was, that was a great distraction, actually, because I saw loads of colleagues from all around the world. Um, and we did lots of lovely, it's for a conference, but we did lots of lovely things as well, lots of social stuff. And that was really nice, actually, because that was a really great distraction from all of the ups and downs of pregnancy. Because yeah. I just wasn't sure that I'd still be still stay pregnant um, and that I'd maintain it because I'd had one like main miscarriage, but then a few kind of like early miscarriages as well. that um, I just didn't hold out the most amount of hope that it would definitely um definitely stick around but i was not doom and gloom about it i was just kind of a bit i was being quite i guess a bit just pragmatic and then it did stay around until we went to sri lanka at christmas with my mum and dad which was rather lovely last year no not last year the year before now i'm getting my time mixed up um and had a really nice time there and i think actually a, a lot of the rest and relaxation probably really helped it to hang around as well right. I wasn't working because I had a, almost a month off work ultimately because of how it worked out with timings and and I think that real like decompression um, and stress-free sitting around a pool or lying on a beach time was really really beneficial actually and then yeah luckily enough we we stayed I stayed pregnant um, and then of course lockdown happened and I was pregnant throughout that got a puppy mm -hmm. Which as you do just add another thing into the mix <laughs> yeah. and I've already got one dog as well but I figured that I was probably going to ignore my existing dog but I was probably going to ignore her for the next 16 years so I needed to get her a friend <laughs> I love the rationale <laughs> so I did so I got her a friend so I got um pudding which is um with was the puppy and, and pudding yeah they're lovely um they became best friends actually and it was really really lovely thing to do during lockdown actually when I was pregnant to have a puppy around um I would bring her on to all my work calls and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Love it>. um, <laughs> and then in yeah in July because it was an IVF baby and I'm over 40 they induced me or they planned to induce me around my due date they didn't want me to go over my due date um and I ended up being induced I think it was my due date plus two days or something uh, and had the induction and had the really, really long labour. It felt very, very, very long. It was about 50 hours in, in advanced labour, which is a long time. 
in um, advanced labor yeah wow no and uh, why like i don't know how it lasted so because long. i i it's... hear i hear a lot it's really common that um i was also induced and then that gets drawn out and that takes ages i i also was in for about 48 hours but the but was definitely in very early labor not advanced labor so it all happened no, mine, like the yeah the early because i was in for four days in total but the first sort of day and a half were early labour, um, which is really tolerable and yeah. is actually okay. And then things really ramp up. Uh, but what was also quite tricky about it is I had this trapped nerve pain. And because of when you're induced, you're, you're strapped to a machine and you've got lots of monitors on, so you can't really move around very much. But I had this trapped nerve. For some reason, my pelvis opening had trapped a nerve. In, like it sort of in my bottom, it felt like. And it was that that pain was worse than the contractions, and it was so profound because it was there all the time. And so, even between contractions, I didn't get any relief from the pain because then oh, this no. other pain was before. So, uh, if I think back to labor, that trap nerve was the worst bit. Wow. <laughs> right, the whole time. Yeah, it was really, it was really awful. So, um, and it, it came back the next day after my epidural wore off because I ended up with, with an epidural <laughs> forceps. A bit of vaginal delivery, but um, more sets and anatomy. And so, did you have anyone at the hospital with you? Yeah, I had my mum, and it was so lovely Aww. because it was a very. It felt like a very natural cyclical. If you have a good relationship with your parent, obviously, or you know, with whoever it is that you're there with, um, that's important. And it was really lovely. We have a nice relationship. I think it was quite hard for her seeing me in so much pain for so long. Mm. Um, Plus, you know, I was trying to encourage her to go out and have a cigarette break, frankly, every so often. <laughs> <laughs> because she smokes. And I was like, Mum, you know, you know, you need to go and deal with yourself a little bit. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be fine. So yeah, my mum came and it was she was she was just brilliant, a fantastic birth partner, just very loving. Yeah. And and just a very kind of reassuring, kind, calm lovely influence and just a nice a nice sounds sounds a bit daft but almost like a nice person to just look up to just look over. Just, um, yeah. sorry bets is being a little bit uh <laughs> she wants attention, she wants attention. <laughs> Actually, I, I know what i'll do i'll put her on the boob because <laughs> ah, i like it <laughs> good idea there's absolutely no way she won't be happy in <laughs> And so did your mum come home with you after the birth? Yeah, she did. Yeah, and my dad was here as well. And so it was really lovely. We had about a week, I think, mm. with them here. Um, and I, I then kind of kicked them out, actually, and said... Um, <laughs> Love it. Like, lovingly. I was like, I think I just want to kind of like nest a bit now with just the two of us and, and the doggies. Um, and so yeah it's really nice what was what was also great is they did all of my diy and lots of cleaning and so, <laughs> and so i got a snagging list of diy <laughs> things that i've never gone around to including like hemming curtains and it was all done by the time i got it <laughs> brilliant <laughs> that was very lucky um but yeah no i'm really lucky that i get on with my parents brilliantly and, and are so, they close by no they're um about 100 miles away actually they're in the midlands and i'm i'm actually currently trying to to 
buy a house that's a bit closer to them actually because I think COVID... oh no well we thought that being on the boot would help but <laughs> anyway so the realities of being a solo parent is that, you know, never guarantee that your baby is not going to be waking up hoping to move closer to my, my family generally who are in the Midlands and my sister and my nephew and my parents uh, my, I've got another sister in Scotland it'd be great if we could move a bit closer because I think Covid has definitely taught me that you know life is short and precious and actually these baby early baby years are really important as well so if if my my kids can spend more time with the family and vice versa I think that would be beneficial to everybody um, and has so, COVID helped with that? Would you have been able to do it pre-COVID or were you working actually, remotely? No, you're right. It's totally helped with that. Yeah, because of working remotely. So now I've been um, um, allowed to work 100% remotely, which not everybody is in my company or even, you know, in my team. It's sort of just there, there's so many people that have been allowed to do so. And it's um, I think it's also to do with the fact that I might have more health issues or it's very likely i'll have more health issues and more mobility issues as well um and so it does make it difficult getting into an office when your legs don't work brilliantly um so i think that's been like a bit of a consideration of it um but yeah the fact that i'm going to be able to work 100 percent remotely is a real godsend actually and it's 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 all covid that i don't think that would have happened without covid we've got to take the small positives from covid where we can so because i'm the same i'm moving to near my parents and um I wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for COVID. So, um, you know, it's, and I've spoken to so many women and I always say to them, don't rule it out because at the beginning people are like, there's no way I'd move to X, Y or Z place. And I said, I was there. I was saying there's no way I'd be moving. And then now I'm like, okay, this is more important. No, I said exactly the same. And I, I like, I need to speak to my therapist about this. Honestly, I'm still a bit of a snob about it in some ways. I need to not be because it's about my own ego and ego is the enemy ego is always the enemy and we need to totally quash those thoughts because and you know i'm, I'm gonna work on it right because <laughs> also betsy would benefit so much and my parents will benefit so much i um, was exactly the same i was reading a new earth by eckhart tolle and i was like oh this is why i'm not moving because i'm a snob about where i live i live somewhere in inverse commas trendy and i don't perceive where i'm moving to to be trendy but actually what i've realized is there's so many benefits to where i'm living and trendy is a fully made up thing that doesn't mean anything um plus i am not trendy anyway (laughs) no no it's ridiculous isn't it and it's like that yeah I 100% agree yeah and I've been I have been like when I've been having doubts about it I've been inventing reasons why it's like not a good idea to move and I know really that I'm just I'm lying to myself really and I know that it's it is about ego and this whole like perception of a place but um yeah I'm my house purchase sadly anyway has just fallen through um so we'll see we'll see I'm, I'm still hoping to be able to move though as soon as I can that's but. the idea yeah and how have you found uh motherhood so far so genuinely i'm gonna be 100 percent honest about this i found it so easy so enjoyable and just non-stop non-stop pleasure just non-stop joy the whole thing is amazing it's utterly amazing and i really expected that it might be harder than it is and i think there's a degree of the fact that i've been through some really tough things and I feel like I've become so 
much stronger than I would have been prior to those difficult things. Um, that I can deal with more stuff. I'm more resilient and just like, I don't know, I'm just don't sweat small stuff, I suppose. But she's an easy baby. I can't deny that she's, she's, she's not had colic and mm. she does sleep occasionally. <laughs> not necessarily when I want her to when I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but she's like just an absolute joy, you know, 10 years in the making. So she's an absolute joy and it's been nothing but wonderful, really oh. genuinely wonderful. Um, I feel just incredibly lucky to have her um, and I can't wait for another one. <laughs> wow, wow. And have you, um, just in terms of, the, you know, your illness, have you had any difficulties or have you found that it's not been so bad? Well, actually, yeah, since being incredibly well in the first trimester, that pretty much maintained throughout my whole pregnancy. And I, I, my legs worked. Um, in fact, I was walking around like the local parks and all these places around here every day with the dogs. Um, so my legs are still working brilliantly. I feel well, apart from at the moment, I'm tapering down the breastfeeding because I'm going back to work. But also, sorry, that's a dog. <laughs> we've been joined by the whole family <laughs> yeah, yeah this is a family affair so um yeah i'm tapering down breastfeeding and because a lot of my illness and a lot of or a lot of the sort of symptoms around it are to do with autoimmune things that tends to when your immune system is kind of repressed during pregnancy you tend to not get the autoimmune effect and so you can be quite well but then post pregnancy and breastfeeding things can start to return and I've noticed actually that when I'm reducing breastfeeding for because I want to try and get pregnant again and because I'm going back to work um that some of my symptoms are starting to return so uh, just over the past few days actually I've been feeling a bit poorly and some of the particular pain is back because I have various different um, types of chronic pain and some of that is coming back and I'm I'm kind of optimistic and hopeful that my legs will stay working but then, you know, if they if they go again, it's absolutely fine because I can be a disabled parent just as well as I can be an, an, a walking parent. And um, I don't foresee it being a massive issue. Well, I mean, of, well, Betsy doesn't either. Betsy's like, it's totally fine. She's <laughs> fine with it. So, yeah, I mean, whether or not your legs work or if you feel well doesn't really impinge massively on how you parent in my opinion it perhaps impinges on how much energy you have but i also maintain that you don't necessarily need to do all of the things that people think that they need to do when you're a parent so for example i don't have an elaborate bedtime routine that includes a bath every night because it would wear me out to do that um i mean her having the bath not me but it would still wear me out you know that all of that kind of quite lengthy procedures that that people kind of like think that they have to do um or certain um like classes and things like that we just don't do because i know that it would actually deplete quite a lot of energy and so we're, we're probably benefiting a little bit actually also from lockdown aren't we because we're not doing so i'm looking at <laughs> um because we're not doing loads and loads of you know really busy active things that would probably deplete a lot of energy from anyone who's a, a it's got a chronic illness it's often called a spoonie and spoons refer to energy so uh, yeah anyone who's a spoonie be reassured that you can still be a parent and um, and maybe just life hack a bit in terms of energy levels and what you can do
I think what I really admire about you is that you seem really so clear on what you need, what works for you. You're not worried about what other people think or say or do, or you're just staying in what, what is good for you. Um, because it's interesting because I'm almost the exact opposite where um, I need to go to classes. I know we can't do anything at the moment because of lockdown, but, but for me, that's what gave me energy. Whereas you know that that would be draining for you. So you're not doing it and not worrying about it. Cause I think so many people overthink about, you know, am I doing it? Is this going to detriment my child? What, but you're just confident that you're getting on parenting well in the way that works for you and I think we should all learn from that that it's like what works for us yeah good well I mean I made a decision that I wasn't going to feel guilty about stuff because I think that that mums really 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 are like they're just guilt factories you know (laughs) parenthood is is all about guilt isn't it it's like am I doing the right thing am I doing something wrong am I oh I'm not being brilliant at work because I'm parenting or am I being a great partner perhaps of people who aren't single or you know a great friend whatever it might be everybody feels guilty and I just just decide I'm not going to do that I'm not going to put myself through that um I mean don't get me wrong I'm not like doing things that are going to be detrimental to her that I believe would you know I need to feel guilty about but I'm not going to feel guilty about not doing the right stimulation class thing or or not doing baby massage or baby yoga like daily or whatever it might be um or not whatever it might be even looking at my phone I'm not going to feel guilty about stuff because actually what she needs more than anything else is me to have great mental health and she needs me to be happy and fulfilled and contented and then she will be um largely so yeah I really believe that like how my mental health is will really impact her more than almost anything else um, in these early years and so I, I do have to yeah really take that into consideration I'm not going to beat myself up about anything really so many solo mums have the normal mum guilt and then they layer another layer of solo mum guilt on the top which is additional things they feel guilty about because they're parenting solo it's exactly what you say it's about just focusing on you doing the best you can do and any energy spent on being guilty is just wasted energy on you know being the best mum you can be basically so i just wanted to ask you choosing a sperm donor what was the process of that for you that was interesting choosing the sperm donor was kind of odd in that i decided i wasn't going to shop around too much and be too specific and i wasn't going to view it like dating I was going to make it, try and make it all as straightforward as possible so that I didn't agonise over a decision because I'm aware that it can, it could go in that direction, right? You could really agonise over it and pick it apart and overthink it. And so I decided to go with the, the, the bank that was through my clinic and there was a choice of eight, eight people and four of which were white and I wanted the same ethnicity. And then... I think out of the four, I'm not going to be too specific, but out of the four white people, there was uh, three students and one with a job and I went with the one with the job. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. And it, you know, because I'm the same, I used a sperm donor from the clinic. And at first I was like, this is not enough choice. But again, just going back to thinking, hang on, it's just human nature to want more choice 
all of these are completely meeting the criteria that I set out for myself. I don't need more choice. Actually, the clinics helped me narrow down this so I don't have to do all of these elaborate spreadsheets. But for me, it's whatever works best. I know some people you know like to choose from more but in some ways it makes it a bit easier when you've got less yeah I think so too actually I think for me it was better that way but I mean god yeah I'm certainly not knocking people who, who do like spend years deciding or whatever's right for them but it just felt like making it an underthinking exercise not an overthinking exercise would ultimately work out just as well yeah <laughs> and what advice would you give to people who are currently considering solo motherhood do it do it do it do it do it it's the best thing i've ever done um <laughs> that's um that's not measured advice that's just like <laughs> motion pouring out of emotion i really think that I, I i would sort of very specifically speak i think to or want to encourage people with any chronic illnesses or disabilities that like there's no reason why you should why those things should limit you to being a single mum solo mum in any way I think that you can do it with a chronic illness you can do it with a disability life hacks like you'll find a way through things yeah I just really want to encourage people with chronic illnesses who might think that they they might not be able to do it that you 100% can do it you will be able to do it it might, you might find you know things different to people who are able-bodied or to, to people who don't have your health conditions but what you might bring to the table because you've had the experiences of illness is different levels of empathy and compassion and you you know you you can bring things to parenting that are, are different um from your own experience so totally do it i mean i couldn't be more enthusiastic about the whole thing because it's just been utterly amazing <laughs> i think one of the things that that i think about you is that you're such a role model in terms of mindset because for me some of the things that i see that where people are thriving versus people who are struggling a little bit more um, is mindset. It's about owning your situation and making everything in your situation the best it can be. There is not once there you're, where you're thinking, how would it have been in a partnership? How would it have been if my legs worked better? How would you're just like, this is the situation. This is how I can make it work for me and just such a positive mindset. And I think that's a really good reminder to everyone in any situation your mindset has a big influence on how easy you find this I think oh totally but also I I decided a while ago actually that I would write narratives about different experiences in my life and, and frame my experiences so when it came to my marriage there's a narrative around that when it came to disability and my illness is kind of I've written like narratives around that in my head and I've actually also for catharsis written things down as like almost memoir style um but also and therapy really helps all of this of course um but also actually the narrative that i wrote about single motherhood and about betsy i wrote in my head really that she was an easy baby i wrote that as a narrative about us it didn't mean it was true it didn't mean necessarily that she was a really easy baby but it was much easier for me to frame things thinking that she was an easy baby uh, a bit noisy right now but <laughs> um <laughs> just because you're you're being vocal aren't you because you just want to you want to be you want to be on a podcast before you're one i mean it's yeah, right? very good very good <laughs> 
exactly exactly um no so i think i think it's almost it is it is absolutely mindset and how you frame it to yourself and how you frame it to other people because if you're if you're telling people that you, you know you're having a really hard time and things are really awful and it's really really difficult and that's all you tend to hear about your situation then that almost like perpetuates the problem whereas i would very much be framing things as she's an easy baby talking about her as an easy baby talking about those elements of, of it and ignoring the harder things mm. but that isn't necessarily always healthy i think that the way to do it for me was that i would talk about the hard things <laughs> only really with my therapist and with like you know two two mum friends not the wider picture so you're addressing yeah. them you're just not making it your entire narrative to everybody um because because it, it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way you know if i'm saying that she's an easy baby and i'm focusing on the bits that are easy and the ways in which she is an easy baby then it, it becomes true <laughs> in a way <laughs> I, I i couldn't agree more and i give this advice to people who are still struggling from the fact they haven't got a partner which it doesn't seem like you have in the slightest which is also really positive for people to hear um because if you always look for what would have been easier if you had a partner you'll always find what would have been easier whereas if you always look for what's easier without a partner you'll start finding what's easier so i'm always trying to point out to people see that's easier see you don't have to put up with that because people's natural mind often goes to how it would be easier with a partner and I'm trying to at least balance it to say come on let's <laughs> let's find the things that are easier and I think you're a great example of someone who's definitely saying you're finding it easier without so um, it is, it's great to do that as much as you can in all areas of life because I remember when I first was in a wheelchair and rather than thinking about you know oh it's really difficult that that place buildings are inaccessible or whatever i would think oh my god i can wear all the high heels that i haven't been able to wear for ages that are massively uncomfortable and i can't walk in because i don't have to walk in them but they look really good when i'm sitting down and also <laughs> my legs would suddenly gorgeous because i had terrible muscle wastage and, and like muscle loss <laughs> so i had the best legs that is possibly the best reframing example I've ever heard um, that you can now wear your high heel shoes. I absolutely love that. Julie, you're such an inspiration. Um, I've loved talking to you. I really think that you'll give a lot of people a lot of hope. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I've loved having my first guest under the age of one on the podcast as well. <laughs> and I think you're exactly right. It's just an example. We can carry on doing things even when we've got a little person that makes an appearance. It doesn't mean we can't carry on with what we're doing. No, it's been brilliant. Thank you. It's really lovely to meet you. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Stalker Night podcast, I'd hugely appreciate if you rate, review and subscribe. I look forward to seeing you again next week. <laughs>